This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. In 2029, the youngest of baby boomers will reach retirement age. For the next decade and beyond, the workforce will be made up predominantly of four different generations of workers, the boomers, the Gen Xers, Gen Y, and Gen Z. How does this multi-generational presence affect businesses and organizations? And what are the future skills needed in the workplace that workers in all four of these generations must have to thrive in the economy of tomorrow? I'm your host, James Kent. Joining me on this episode of the EdTech Podcast brought to you by MarketScale is Kay Kalpo Lugtu, COO, and Ray Lugtu, President and CEO of Hungry Workhorse based in Mutanlupa City, Manila. Hungry Workhorse is a consulting firm focused on helping businesses with strategy, technology, and maintaining relevancy in the age of digital. Welcome to the podcast, Kay and Ray. Hi to you, James. How are you doing? I am doing good. How about the two of you? Hello, James. Yeah, we're good. That's great. Now, starting off, Kay and Ray, what do you see missing in the marketplace that led you to start Hungry Workhorse? Well, it's really helping uh, organizations here, especially the local ones, uh, you know, come up with a sound strategy and as far as their digital transformation would be concerned. Now, a lot of these organizations think that digital transformation is a function of putting in technology capabilities here and there, uh, you know, without any strategic rational behind it. And we always say that digital transformation really, more than anything else, is a strategy and that the technical or the technology capabilities could come in later on as you execute your strategy. So that's where we really come in. And of course, the people aspect there is a very important thing for us because in executing a great Uh, digital transformation strategy, you need the adoption and the mindset of your people. Yeah, so in addition to Kay's uh, introduction, we define digital transformation as a strategic action to accelerate uh, capabilities, uh, business processes, and new business models in a strategic and prioritized way. Hence, we start with the discussion on the C-level and senior executive level. And talk about how uh, you know to how to execute and plan for digital transformation, but we always stumble upon uh, one big blocker you know, in any digital transformation, which is culture. You know? Hence, we always uh, incorporate the people aspect of digital transformation. With technology changing at such a rapid pace, is this a challenge for all working generations or more so for a specific generation? And is this something companies struggle with in training and change management? Okay, James, there's a lot of uh, challenges happening and at the same time opportunities in this multi-generation workplace that we are all in. Again, let's bear in mind that this is the only time in the history of work that we have four generations all in one workplace. So this presents definitely challenges, uh, especially to the HR people, as far as allowing them to adopt and uh, engage 
you know, in certain collaborations or strategic initiatives of the company. So, for example, our baby boomers, baby boomers are very, very traditional uh, people. So, in terms of having them adopt certain technology capabilities, uh, you need more time. You need to handhold them, uh, you know, prior to them being able to adopt the capability that you'd like to enforce in your company. Whereas a digital native or a Gen Z can quickly adopt these capabilities simply because they were born when you know the internet was already here and um, that really spells a lot of difference so that's one example where we could see the stark difference but essentially how we can understand this better is that uh, the the Gen Z workers are more of your independent workers meaning you can put them in one corner leave them alone and you know they they can churn out uh, the results that you expect whereas your your baby boomers for example tend to require more hand-holding and guidance especially when you incorporate digital capabilities that's interesting yep that's right <laughs> <laughs> well i think it's it's about how uh, different generations have gone accustomed to you know being in the workforce and you know what they require as far as learning something new. Uh, some people just here, here's the tool and go with it. And others, maybe they want some hands-on training with the tools. That's correct. And, and that's exactly why we have, let's say, our older relatives, maybe our, you know, grandfather, grandmother, or like uh, elder uncles, for example, that reach out to us and ask us like, you know, could you set me up an account in Facebook? Or what is this Instagram, right? They need they need <laughs> help in as far as getting into these platforms, uh, you know, because they can't do it alone. Mm. <laughs> Something like that. What surprises you most about today's workplace multi-generational client? And how would you say it's different from the workplace of the past, even, say, just a decade ago? Oh, right. That's a great question, uh, James. So, uh, you know, because of the uh, fast-paced technology that we are into now, uh, a lot of these technologies are getting into the workplace. No? Uh, so a lot of processes are being automated. This is probably the only time in the history of work where you know, there's a fast adoption of automation in many areas uh, which have never been automated, like HR, no? legal. No? All of these support activities are adopting technology. There's a lot of uh, differences in the way employees learn in the workplace. No? Kay spoke about multi-generations. So each generation that we witness in the workplace you know, learns uh, differently. Uh, for example, uh, Gen Zs, you know, the 24-something and below, they uh, learn uh, fast you know, using micro-content. You know. uh, micro-learning is the in thing with the younger generation. You know, They learn from feeds in, in uh, social media. So they uh, learn faster when it's micro-learning and micro-content. Hmm. Uh, so as you move up the generation, like Gen X and uh, Baby Boomers, they, uh, we still need uh, you know, a combination of uh, digital and classroom. A lot of hand-holding, as Kay mentioned, and a lot of coaching from managers. That presents uh, you know, challenges for organizations to implement learning activities how to make adoption of technology more, you know, more, uh, you know, prevalent in organizations. So the, that's the main difference. You know, uh, the generation before the, you know, a decade ago, 
uh, work was simpler no? because uh, you know there's little technology in the workplace. But now with the uh, with the advent of uh, different technologies, it presents challenges in organizations on how to make employees learn about these new technologies and how they adopt these new technologies. Is there a different core set of skills workers are going to need in the future? Uh, yes, that's correct, James. Uh, we usually present this framework where, you know, we show we show our customers how we started with the whole industry revolution, right? So, for example, in the 18th century, the first industrial revolution, the steam engine uh, that was introduced, the skills needed back then was hard work and efficiency, right? That was the capability needed to bring that area into where it should be. And then came the second industrial revolution, uh, which is on the... Light, light bulb. No, that was the Thomas invention Edison. of the light bulb, uh, Thomas Edison. Uh, and the skill required then, James, was efficiency. And then came uh, the third industrial revolution during the invention of the personal uh, computer. And the skill required then was innovation. Then now, uh, we are now at the cusp of the fourth industrial revolution where beyond the personal computing, we are now looking at uh, many, many different facets of technology such as artificial intelligence, you have collaboration, you have Internet of Things, uh, virtual reality, robotics, etc., etc. Now, the skills needed here are the, uh, we call it the three-pronged uh, skills covering Empathy, collaboration, and complex problem solving. These are the skills that are needed for the future, which we should prepare, especially our young leaders, to espouse. Right. And this is supported, James, by uh, you know several organizations and companies, like the World Economic Forum listed a number of uh, you know future skills. The top uh, most in the list was uh, complex problem solving, followed by uh, you know other soft skills. It was also, uh, you know, in the study of uh, Google and several uh, other tech companies that indeed you know, soft skills you know, like empathy, collaboration, and the uh, harder skill like complex problem solving and agile decision making are the required skills in organizations today. You know? Do you think educational systems are equipped for the types of changes we've been talking about? Uh, yeah, that's a great question, James. We've been uh, doing our research and observations in uh, you know, ed the educational system in the Philippines, in the region, and as well as in the global stage. And what we observe is that uh, this, still the old kind of uh, pedagogy or teaching method is applied, which is rote memorization. Students are rewarded on what they memorize instead of uh, you know teaching them how to make judgments, how to reflect. So that's why we always promote uh, you know the uh, how how teaching should be done is through reflective teaching and learning. That is, you know, the students are asked questions. They are asked to uh, make uh, create their own uh, judgment and debate on certain issues. This is how we develop critical thinking and creative thinking. Uh, we also talk about uh, students working in teams, you know, uh, working on projects more often, which develops uh, collaboration instead of competing against each other. And with collaboration, uh, you know, we develop empathy towards each other. You know? So empathy towards uh, you know, students as well as with teachers. And all of these skills, you know, critical thinking, creative thinking, which is part of uh, complex problem solving, as well as collaboration and empathy, 
are the skills we need to develop in schools you know as early as uh, as early as possible in the educational uh, stage uh, of a student if a certain set of skills are required and these skills say are required uh, from a bulk of employees that are not coming right out of college but they've been in the workplace for some time what do businesses need to do to have them acquire these skills Yes, no. So one of the things uh, we always talk about and promoting amongst uh, organizations is to retool, reskill, and upskill their employees. So uh, we need to, uh, you know, the first and foremost is really to teach them these three skills, because these three skills, you know, empathy, collaboration, complex problem solving, these are the skills required on how we adapt, how we use technology you know, that is coming into the four of, of uh, many organizations. So reskilling is the key thing now. And uh, uh, many companies uh, are not yet realizing this. No? Instead, they jump immediately to the tools required. No? There's a surge of trainings on design thinking, uh, artificial intelligence. These are, uh, you know, these assume that you already have the mindset no? to uh, adapt to the changes happening in the environment. But this is uh, not proving to be a, a good way of te teaching the, uh, the employees. So instead, we have to go to the basics of you know, training them with the uh, right soft skills and hard skills. Yeah, uh, to add to what Ray was saying, James, how it is reflected here in Southeast Asia, for example, is, you know, with the, with the advent of the Fourth Industrial Revolution and uh, manufacturing companies adopting robotics, for example. So you will now have challenge on where would you put, let's say, your factory workers that have been used to doing uh, low low value processes that are now automated, right? Automating a process in a manufacturing company brings about uh, higher productivity and higher yield. But where do you put your soon to be displaced workers, for example, and this is what Ray has been saying, where we need to retool and reskill and upskill these workers. This is the challenge of our times, uh, James. It's no secret that boomers make up a large number of the workforce, but what happens when the inevitable shift comes and we see a greater number of boomers leaving the workforce than can be replaced by the generation entering the workforce and the ones still in it? You know, will technology alone be able to make up that shortfall? Uh, are businesses talking about this or are we headed for a, a different type of Y2K bug in a decade from now? Mm, yeah, that's a, a great question again, James. So, so when the boomers uh, leave the workforce, you know, it's going to be the Gen Xers who's uh, going to take over. And there's been a lot of studies that uh, Gen X will uh, change the nature of the workplace, not the millennials and Gen Z, it's going to be Gen X because uh, this generation occupies a lot of leadership positions now no, in the workplace. So Gen uh, X, what's interesting about Gen X, which is my gen our generation, is that uh, you know we we are comfortable with digital as well as the traditional analog uh, methods. So you know we see no issue with baby boomers leaving the workplace. Uh, probably the bigger challenge is you know the entry of Gen Z. Because Gen Z now, in uh, our observation and research, is again changing the nature of work. No? Talk about learning and employee engagement. Mm -hmm. Gen Zs, uh, you know, they require uh, you know a lot of digital tools. No? Uh, so we see that happening in the workplace now. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that the Gen Z workers are the most independent of them all, and uh, this is where the challenge is to make sure that the collaboration, even though they remain to be the most independent, they still need to uh, see the value of collaborating and having empathy, and you know, being able to do complex problem solving, not just as individuals but also as a team or as a squad. So that right. that's what's going to happen. What would be something? That if a CEO or business leader listening to this podcast right now, uh, what, what should they be thinking about in terms of their organization that if they're not, they are missing out on something of critical importance? Yeah, so uh, CEOs, uh, you know, senior executives uh, uh, nowadays should are thinking about converting and making their organizations more agile. So agility now is the name of the game uh, agility is, uh, you know, the capability of an organization or individual to learn, act, and uh, in a fast, in a fast fashion. Because uh, organizations need to adapt and uh, you know, respond to changes in the environment quickly. So, quickly. <laughs> so CEOs uh, are always thinking about agility, but the question is how. That is always the lingering question amongst uh, many executives. How? Uh, knowing that you have uh, you know, a, a mix of generations, you have baby boomers who are primarily traditionalists, and you have uh, you know, new generations coming in. And that presents, again, a challenge to many organizations. How will they do it? So we encourage CEOs to be directly involved in this, uh, in this undertaking instead of assigning this to their HR departments because uh, you know, ultimately it's going to be uh, the employees who will make the adoption to changes successful. No? So CEOs need to think about this. No? How will they do it? No? So there's there's a combination of digital and non-digital forms of uh, you know upscaling employees, and uh, you know we need to uh, also implement changes in a in an optimal manner, knowing that these different generations also adopt new technologies in different rates. I mean, the practical examples of what Ray uh, has been saying, James, could be seen, for example, let's say uh, an organization converting their used-to-be very traditional office into a more open and collaborative one. So the always classic example here is the Google offices worldwide, right? Uh, if you if you know that the, the Google offices are almost always open, uh, very mm. collaborative, and they have this pantry where people can just really uh, hang out, uh, have a cup of coffee, and exchange ideas. That's the intention of that. And uh, in the U.S., uh, we know that they have this uh, an office or a workspace called the Google Garage, right, where uh, the developers or the technical guys come together and just really, you know, share uh, even bigger ideas uh, in the process. The physical look of the workspace definitely helps. That That's uh, one example uh, that can be adopted by, by a business leader, for example. The second one is the forming of what we call the squads. So if before uh, you are only part of the finance group or the accounting group, uh, nowadays, uh, you're not necessarily just confined to that. You could be in accounting, yes, but you could also be in charge of, let's say, uh, you know, another project that your CEO has been uh, wanting to initiate. So that's why the, the formation of the squads has to be flexible enough to allow participants across the organization to participate. Absolutely. And then the last would be 
the senior leaders themselves not being confined into their office space, but rather being involved in the day-to-day activities of the workers. So we're seeing more of that. And and these practical applications uh, allow for a more collaborative environment, you know, for the workers to pick up, pick up these new skills in the process. Is there anything else we haven't covered that you feel someone listening should know before we wrap up? Again, uh, going back to how we started, the multi-generations in the workplace and how education is transforming and how technology can help bring all of these together, uh, making the entire process a more efficient one and therefore aligned to what is needed in the future. This has to be a concerted effort amongst different sectors. So it's not only the educational institutions as well as private sector and uh, cost-oriented groups. Because uh, change uh, has never been as fast uh, as it is now, and it's uh, only getting faster. So we need to prepare societies, communities, uh, companies, and organizations for this change. And uh, you know what better way uh, to do this by learning you know, as fast as possible and as uh, as densely as possible. And I can't thank you both enough for sharing your wisdom. I want to thank my guest today, Kay Kulpa-Lugtu, COO, and Ray Lugtu, President and CEO of Hungry Workhorse. It has been my pleasure having you both on the podcast. Thank you very much, James, for having us, and we wish you a good day. Uh, thank you, James. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of the EdTech Podcast brought to you by MarketScale. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com industries. There you can subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from a variety of different industries. Make sure you leave a rating and comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, James Kent. Thanks for listening.